This is episode number 892 with actress and New York Times bestselling author Felicia Day. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. couple of quotes I want to share with you in this episode. This is from Gary Zukav. Scarcity of self-value cannot be remedied by money, recognition, affection, attention, or influence. That's a game changer. Scarcity of self-value cannot be remedied by money, recognition, affection, attention, or influence. Think about that for a second. Don't allow your self-value to be attached to any of those things. That is going to hold you down in a big way. And this was from Alan Cohen. To love yourself right now just as you are is to give yourself heaven. Don't wait until you die. If you wait, you die now. If you love, you live now. Oh, big time. We're waiting so much. We're waiting for the recognition, the affection, the attention, the influence to bring us self-value. And if we're waiting, we die. Wow. Both of these quotes, for me, went together perfectly today. And if this is your first time here on the School of Greatness, welcome. This is all about helping you take your life to the next level, optimizing every area of your life. And we've always got something for everybody in every episode and interview. And today's guest is an inspiration. Her name's Felicia Day. She's a New York Times bestselling author, producer, actress, TV writer, and award-winning web series creator who has appeared in numerous TV shows and films. She's currently on the CW show Supernatural and the sci-fi series The Magicians. She created and starred in the web series The Guild, which ran for six seasons and created a funded YouTube channel and production company called Geek and Sundry. Her new book, Embrace Your Weird, is available now, and I'm telling you, I'm digging it. I'm really enjoying it, and I think you're going to like it. And in this interview, we talk about the challenges of being a mom in Hollywood, Felicia's biggest fear as a creator, and how she has found ways to move past it, what it means to love yourself unconditionally, regardless of your career and what stage of your career you're at, and if you've succeeded and failed and all this different stuff. Why Felicia believes creativity is self-care. How to overcome perfectionism when you're constantly creating content and art. This and so much more. Really enjoyed this. Make sure to share it with a friend, lewishouse.com slash 892. And you can be an inspiration in someone's life by giving them this value, by making them a part of this class on the School of Greatness. So send them this episode and make sure to connect with me on social media at Lewis Howes and connect with Felicia as well by just tagging her on Instagram or Twitter. I'm sure she'd love to know that you are watching or listening. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome back to one of the School of Greatest Podcasts. Excited. We've got Felicia Day. Good to see you. Hey, what's up? Good to see you. I, I was reading some fun facts about you. Uh-oh. I didn't know these things about you. I've known about you for years. Okay. But I didn't know these facts until we started. Okay, research. what what do you got? Hopefully this is the correct facts. I mean, if it's Wikipedia, it's semi-accurate. That's hopefully, right? Yeah. Um, so you got accepted to Juilliard? For, as a violinist, is that the correct? pre-program? So pre-program. when I was fourteen, I got accepted wow. to the feeder program that goes into Juilliard. So yeah. Do you still play violin? You know, not very much. I got it out the other day. I have an almost three-year-old, and I wanted to start playing for her to kind of inspire her to learn music. And she's like, "Mama, too loud." So I, but you know, it is my one of my resolutions for 2020 to at least really? play consistently a little bit more because I think it actually makes me happier because mm. I'm very good at that. 
And when you're in Hollywood, you don't really feel good about anything. Because <laughs> you're always, what, chasing the next yeah, gig? You're always, and... Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, you know what? I just have a little bit of, yeah, you're good at this in your life. And so I think I could do that with violence. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down at least a little bit every day. Could you pick it back up after, I guess, years of not playing it? Yeah, you know, that's the funny thing is if I played for like two, three weeks, if I practiced a couple hours for two to three weeks, I could probably be pretty competent. I wouldn't be at the level that I was because I was very, very, you know, I was a professional level. Yeah, I was. But, um, yeah, oh, I could definitely star. pick it up. You don't forget it. I think it's the neural connections really stay there. Yeah. My my brother's the number one jazz violinist in the world currently. What? What's his name? His name's Christian House. I've, I've heard of that. What? Yeah, so he he was, like, a top classical violinist, like, top in the country under 17 or 18. Uh-huh. Got all the big scholarships as well to the big music schools. You decided to go to a, a different school. University of Texas, right? Yeah, well, I, my parents could not afford to move to El, uh, New, York New York City just to, so I could go yeah. on the week. It was a weekend program, so they couldn't afford yeah. to just move to New York because, yeah. I mean, we were a military family, and yeah. we lived in the South, so it was like, this that was not going to happen. Exactly. But I did get a full scholarship to college at 15, so. It's crazy. I just went. For That's, music? For violin, yeah. Yeah, so he, got, he went to Ohio State, did the whole music thing there. Oh, wow. Um, but then he actually went to prison for four years. What did he do? He sold drugs to an undercover cop. Oh, that's at, too bad. At 18 years old. Was it hard drugs? It's LSD. Yeah. And uh, but Nowadays, at the time it was fine. like the war. <laughs> it was like the war on drugs in the 90s. Yeah, that's awful. And that's awful. So they, he sent him six to 25 years oh. for his first offense, because the judge wanted to make an example of that's awful. anyone in Ohio doing that at that time. Yeah, but that's just not. So, it was so many people lost. So many. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. They're like, still, that's not still right. Now. So anyways, he after he learned jazz violin in prison because wow. he joined the all prison bands and they were doing hip hop and blues and R&B and rap and rock. So he was a classically trained guy that learned in prison from these other inmates and now he's the top in the world in, in that jazz niche. No, I don't. I, I need to look into him more oh, he's, because he's a machine. It's unbelievable. Wow, it's that's amazing. incredible. Anyways, no, I want to hear more about him. Yeah, that's incredible. That's an incredible story. It's a crazy story. I'm, so I'm actually working on a book. Solo? Trying to, yeah, does he, he tour? Tours. He produces. He does. It I'm going to look him up immediately after this because my Christian Spotify. House. You know, they had that Spotify 2019. We're just, just watching it today. Yeah. What What was yours? What was your uh, song? The, the song I listened to the most is by Bozzy. Okay. It's called Mine. Have you heard of this song? No. Hands on your body. I don't want to waste your time. I no. listen to um, scary, Spooky Spiders. Okay. It what is, is it? Uh, my Spotify is almost is solely kids? for children now, and she listens to all 90% Halloween songs. Wow. So, especially spider specific. No, she does not like Baby Shark, thank God, but she likes spider specific Halloween songs. So Spooky Spider, it's actually a pretty catchy tune. Uh, you they know? all are, aren't they? Oh, no, if it's not. If you can get a kid hooked, then the adult is usually hooked, too. I mean, it's an earworm. It's yeah. If I have insomnia, that's what's going around my brain. It's not good. Oh, man. No. So, yeah. Did that's, you see this today on Spotify? Yes, I saw it today on Spotify. I even shared it on Twitter, and I was like, whoops, this is my life now. It's crazy, right? Spooky Spider, yeah, Beast, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, boy. Mom life. Now. It's all good. You're, how do you become a mom and be in Hollywood? I feel like there's a, it's already a lot of pressure to be in Hollywood. Yeah. Acting, writing, producing, creating. You've been acting for a long time, producing, producing, writing, all the things. But how do you decide, I'm going to have a, a child yeah. and still be creative when I'm exhausted, drained. The attention's not about me anymore as much. It's about raising a human being. And how do you continue to evolve? I mean, you evolve as a person. You just have to let go of what you were in the past a little bit, which is a struggle. I mean, I was certainly a workaholic. Everything I've achieved in life has been like outside the system through my hard work, really, versus like somebody kind of picking me and featuring me in a, you know, whatever it is in Hollywood. So 
being that workaholic is not possible anymore. And it is a struggle because I always feel like I'm not doing enough and I'm not progressing. And then I look for opportunities. But I think as a woman and a mother, they are fewer and far between in Hollywood. The kind of perception of you changes in a radical way. In what um, way? What do they think about? I mean, I think that men, you know, certainly uh, see women through the lens of their own sexuality in- inadvertently, unconsciously or consciously. And so when you are have reproduced, there's a certain, I've read a lot of interviews for like Reese Witherspoon and Jessica Alba as well, where they feel that there's a shift in perception of them within the industry. Like less desirable? Less desirable, yeah, less futurable, less willing to invest in because there's something either that is not as attractive to them, in them, to men. Uh, I think it's, and I think a lot of it is unconscious, but a lot of it might be conscious too. And I see the struggle of that a lot, and I feel it for me. I've never was that glamorous person, but I do see that the perception in the women, in the eyes of men and women, is different now. Yeah, I feel like I see where you're coming from there, but I also feel like moms rule the world in terms of a mom creator that has like kids. You can relate to all these moms in the world who are buyers, consumers, watchers, viewers. Yeah, if you want to only talk to that, basically, you get shunted to a small specific, like I can only talk to other moms, right? Mm. And then if you're not, I I always found, I was not interested in other moms before. I never really held a baby before I held mine. (laughs) Right, And so I don't want to just be, okay, I have to cater to moms now because that's my business opportunity to grow. Mm. I'm like, that's not who I am. I'm a lot of different things. I am a mom and I am passionate about raising her right, but I don't want that to define me as an artist, right? So, you know, I think, is anything in life as you grow and you age, you have to find your new self. And yeah. it's always, it's a bigger, it's one of the bigger transitions in life, I think. So I'm still navigating it myself. Really? But, uh, you know, you just put one foot in front of the other and just keep going. So your, your daughter's three? Is right? She will be three in two months. Okay, so she's so, almost three. So yeah. Do you feel like you've let go of your old identity and you've transitioned into a new identity yet? Or do you feel like you're still in that transition? No, I'm a fully in an identity sort of shift still. And, really? you know, I've been working through it. I had a really hard time hormonally weaning my baby. I breastfed her for two years. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but hey, I'll like tell it. anybody. It's uh, greatness. Yeah, it was really, really tough for my body was not, does not respond well to hormonal shifts. So it's been a real struggle to get my sleep back, get my balance back, get any consistency in my life back. And I feel good now. Um, Since my book came out in October, I feel like I've kind of like done it. My book was actually, when I wrote it, was sort of like putting myself back together after I had a baby. Um, You feel like this was hard to write during that? It was very hard to write because I was going through depression and anxiety and all these things because they were hormonal changes and weaning her and then also just finding myself. But all the techniques in here were things that I was using to try to be like, okay, who are you? And because all these things in your life that you have to cut out now, what is left? What do you want to be there? And how do we like focus that? Because there's just not time to be everything anymore. If you want to be a mother, and I believe if you want to be a good parent to your child, you have to make room for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, were you doing too much before? You were trying to do so many things. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I had a, a full-time business. I was a full-time actor. I was also a writer, a producer, a personality. I was doing internet stuff, you know, constant social media. Like, all of that on top of each other was not even tenable when I was doing it, you know. But um, when, uh, when, when the baby came, I was like, whoa. This is like, I, I, I sense the analogy is like you order a couch off of Amazon or whatever, and it's like three times as big as you thought it was. So you're like, how do I put this in my room yeah. and make the rest of the room work ever? And so it still feels crowded, but you just have to cut things out. You have to get rid of that coffee table. You got to get rid of that career. And then like, what is left? Well, you got to put what's important to you in, mm. in your life. What did you cut out then? You know, I started cutting out. I had a booked club that I did online. It was like um, a romance book club. I cut that out. But I you left... were writing it or you were... No, no, I was just, it was an online group Curated, that I had. Yeah. That was the first thing I stopped. Then I quit my company, which was really tough because I was my baby. What do you mean um, you quit? You like just said, I'm dissolving the company. You sold it. No, I sold the company in 2014 and I worked there for over two years. And then I, I was like, I can't do this and this. And it was very, it turned into a very stressful situation for me. It was like... I was more of an administrator than a creator. So I had, you know, it was kind of time for me to leave anyway. But I knew definitely I can't do the career that I want, which is the creative part, and run the business and have a baby. So I had to let something go. And it was very hard. Can imagine. Um, yeah, it was really hard. So yeah, uh, cutting things out like that. I'm, I'm way less prolific on social media. I don't really do as many web videos on my own, especially. So yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. But I think 
it's a good thing because a lot of us, you know, we dissipate our energies and give it, you know, give it into a lot of places that aren't really important to us. We just do it because it's there or there's opportunity or whatever. But we want to stay relevant or want to stay relevant. Yeah. Like, but at the end of the day, our time is precious and like, don't spend it on stuff that is not long-term important to you. So actually it's a good thing. Um, but it's really hard to go through. It's so hard to let go. It's like you're killing your past self. It's yeah, like a little every bit. Every day you're letting something die that was or once exciting. you're distilling it. I like to think about it as like putting a pause. You right? are putting your broth. Your broth was really full, and now you're just like, okay, we got to simmer it down to like something we can put in a smaller container, yeah. right? So, like, a, I, I like to think of it like that. Although some some days it does feel like dying. <laughs> does, right? It feels like death. I mean, what's your biggest fear over the last few years as a creative, as an artist, as an actor? Um, that there's not opportunity to grow and innovate, I think. You know, I mean, I'm the kind of person who I'm fueled by innovation. I'm fueled by being on the cutting edge. Yeah. And I think right now we're in a lull of it. Like podcasting to me is kind of where the industry has, but it was only, cu- it was cutting edge three years ago, four years ago, five now years ago. Now it's saturated. Now it's very saturated. podcasts. I, yeah, and I really admire people like you who've been in it. You're dedicated. This is your thing. Like this, and, but now it's almost like people, dilettantes re- jumping in just like web video, just kind of having their say and being like, ooh, it's hard. Let me get out of here. Like that's not, that doesn't serve your audience and it doesn't serve you as a creator, right? So, you know, I'm kind of, always searching for like, what it is, what, what is it that's new and exciting and out of the box and introducing something different to people. And yeah. so, you know, I haven't found that thing yet, but I have a lot of creative things I'm working on while I look for that. Is it challenging to have a bunch of projects going and being like a leader on a show and being on a show for a while and creating these different things and then not have something for a while? For sure. How do, how do you handle that, deal, deal with that emotionally, internally? And what's your creative outlet during that downtime? I mean, I mean, it's really tough. I think any artist, especially in Hollywood, like um, you do a project and it ends and then you kind of, you, you create a family and you create something with them and then it's over. And so you, I kind of signed up for a, a lifetime of letdowns in a sense because the highs are so wonderful. You're like, okay, I'm willing to do it. And then you hit the ground and you got to look for your next gig. Mm. It's very not stable. It's not predictable. It's certainly not like, um, does it feel settled in any way? But it's what I would do over any, you know, regular day job because I can't, you know, that, that makes me feel very confined, you know, and some people love that stability. And I, I kind of envy that. Right. Um, that's just not for me. Um, but yeah, you know, when the, the the bottom drops out from under you, you're just like, well, what do I do now? And so and I you've guess- you've got a lot of like, you've got a lot of famous friends that you've worked with who are yeah. probably doing big things on the cover of magazines. How does that make you feel? Do you, do you judge yourself or compare yourself to other people that are friends that you were maybe bigger than at one point? And how do you manage yeah. that comparison game? I mean, I talked about this in my book a lot. Like the whole jealousy section yes. is one of my favorites because- mm-hmm. I, I, you have to know somebody's journey. And the fact that I do know a lot of famous people, I know that they have a lot of downs. I know that no matter the they bounty. They 10 years of nothing, maybe, or whatever. Or they're, they're on top of the world and they're not happy, you know? Like, there's no, I think the, the, the one thing that I can take away from life, if I had like $100 million tomorrow, I don't know if I'd live that much differently. Uh-huh. And so we have to be happy with that and then think about like, well, what would I do if I had all that? Well, there's small changes in my life that I can do. Um, it's one of the exercises in my book. It's like, if you win the lotto tomorrow, what would be different? Mm-hmm. And then how can you take one of those things in your life? Because I think it's not as radical as you think. Because I think, you know, you see people consume everything in this town. And yet, I don't think all that consumption makes anyone happy. Having the prettiest clothes, having the, like, you know, all the nails and the hair and the shoes and the vacations in the house. They have just as many. The people like that have more problems, I think, because their, their values are not in the right place. And so I hope that each person, no matter what their status or financial level or fame level, they have that sort of thing where they're like, well, what is really important to me? Let's put our time into that because ultimately that's what we're all going to regret on a deathbed, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. And I know a guy who uh, won about $400 million on a lotto, mm-hmm. a young guy that I've been helping out and kind of guiding the last few years since he won. And it didn't really change his lifestyle, you know? It, yeah. It, he doesn't have to work anymore, but it doesn't make him like doesn't more productive or yeah. more meaningful or happier. No. He still has to find value, find meaning in his life and mm-hmm. grow and learn and develop meaningful relationships. Yeah. And find people that like him not for his money. 
So well, that's, I mean, yeah. I mean, especially in LA, like when you ebb and flow in fame and, and influence and stuff, people are attracted to you because, you know, it's, and it's, I don't even know if it's conscious. It's like that you can do something for them or they want a piece of what you have. Yeah. And when that success goes up and down over the years, you see people disappear, right? Has that happened to you? Where I mean, you're of like course. Yeah. I mean, on a big show for a while. And yeah. Then or I'm doing, you know, very pioneering stuff and people want to be around you and then they just like zip out, you know? And it's fine because. That as long as you lose it as a lesson, like, oh, I need to invest in the people who pick me up at the airport if I can't afford to get picked up, right? Not the people who are fancy or give me, you know, free gifts or or make me look exciting or they want to be a part of what I'm doing. Those are not people who are there for you. You need people who are there for you when the lowest of lows. Yeah. Because when you're you're the highest of highs, you get really saturated with people. When's the lowest point for you? When's it been the lowest point for you? You know, I've had a couple, like earlier this year really was quite hard. And I realize now in retrospect, it was really a hormonal thing after weaning my baby, you know, but I, I really genuinely was like, I think I'm going to move on and figure something else out because- From what, like acting? From all of this. No way, really? Yeah. I was like, I could very easily run a coffee shop and be very happy. <laughs> right, right. I'll have like a board game night, you know. Yeah, I'll karaoke, invest- some music. Hey man, we'll do community violin. service. Yeah. Exactly. Like, And I'm like, well, what is different? What I think especially when you're in an industry where your self-worth is based on what other people value you as, ultimately you have to value yourself. You have to be like, I'm awesome if I'm a barista or I'm an actress. Mm. And and if you can have that core, and I'm, I'm not saying that I have a consistent core of that, but that's what I strive to do every day. How do you um, get to that place? You have to lose everything and you have to feel like you can, you have to feel like the ultimate failure. <laughs> you have to feel like, I think you really just have to get to the point where you can get out of your own way and realize that you're wor- you, sh- you are valuable and you should love yourself no matter where you are in life. And if you can get to that place where you have unconditional love for yourself, I truly believe that you will find the path that you're meant to do. Because then you're not making decisions of, oh, if I do this, I'll get to this in my career and that person will like me, right? I just, we all just need to wake up happy every day. And if that's teaching kids to dance or that's being a banker or if that's being a teacher or running a coffee shop or acting, like whatever it is, make sure you're motivated by the right thing. And that's really the theme of my book. Like sign up for the work of your creativity and value yourself every day for your uniqueness because everyone's unique. That's true. How do we love ourselves unconditionally? Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's not easy. (laughs) What's the process of getting there? You know, I don't know. I learn a lot from my child because having her, I um, I realized that I didn't do that before and I didn't appreciate myself as much mm. as I could have. I, I've always been a proponent of loving yourself for other people and yet I didn't focus that inward. And when I had her, I started I realizing that she absorbs everything around her and like me speaking ill of my looks or where I am in my career, like... I don't want her to learn to talk to herself like that, right? And so you see these things that we obviously have learned in our life. No one is taught as a two-year-old to not love what they do and be criticized. You know what I'm saying? These are these are things that are the outside world imposes yeah. on us, either parental or whatever. And so I'm hyper-conscious of that, and then that makes me be hyper-conscious of the thoughts that I send into my own brain. So really, having a baby, yes, it crumbled everything I am, but it made me put myself better in a more functional way. And then, yes, I might not be as successful or fancy, but it's it's okay because ultimately I'll be a happier person on my deathbed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm all about that deathbed. I know, right? (laughs) Well, it's interesting. When we reflect about death Mm -hmm. more frequently, we can actually become more happier. Present, yeah. Present, happier, uh, have perspective, make better decisions when we ask us. Do you do that a lot? Uh, I started doing it a lot. I think there's a country called Bhutan. I think that's what it is. It's called mm-hmm. Bhutan. I can't remember. Someone came on here and talked about this. I think the country's called Bhutan. But um, well, I heard that they practice five times a day of reflecting on their death. Five times oh, a day. Oh, five times a day. Wow. And I think it's just for like... I just do it when I have insomnia. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 3 a.m. Oh, my God. I'm going to die one day. <laughs> there's an app that I was using for a long time. I can't remember what it's called. Is it I'll like the, it your, dead, your dead app? <laughs> that reminds you five times a day that you're going to die. Wow. With a little quote that gives you perspective on the moment of your life. Yeah. That's just like, I think well, that's it literally kind of says, stoicism is like. Yeah, it's like, remember, you're going to die. So just put everything in perspective. Like, yeah. oh, this stress I'm feeling right now, does it matter? That person flipping me off on the, on the road, it doesn't matter right now. Yeah. Because I'm going to die one day. Let me make the most out of this. Let me get the most juice out of my life and have some more yeah. joy over pain. 100%. Because these little moments don't matter to get upset, to get frustrated, things like that. So 
What, what did you learn from your daughter about creativity mm. and, and something that you didn't ever know about creativity or you forgot? Um, I learned a lot from her. And like a, a, a lot of this book is about of seeing a, a child just come out of me and be like, I am... I am, I am who I am, but I have to find out who I am. It's a weird, like, you know, we're all born a certain way, but we have to learn who we are. It's literally our, we're life, we're our own life's homework, right? Yes. And so, and along the way, what you learn can warp what you are, I, I believe. So I always want to be, you know, here to allow her to be whatever she wants to be. And so I think she taught me that we're all just inherently creative and spontaneous and unjudgmental about what comes out of us. And we create because we are, are trying to fill the walls of who we are, Right. So we're throwing something against the wall creatively to see how the world works and how we work within the world. Yeah. And so I think that that really taught me to be a lot more un, unfettered, more un, uninhibited, less judgmental and goal-oriented with my creativity. Um, You're less judgmental and goal-oriented. Yeah, and I think, I think that creativity for people is self-care. You know, I really believe that. And I think that we consume a lot of things to sort of shield ourselves from ourselves. Like, rather than, you know, listening to a podcast or, or watch a TV show or a web video, sorry me, I think that, you know, if we took an hour to just do a sketch or, you know, or draw or play the violin or piano game. or anything to learn more about ourselves, knitting, you know, I think that's really important and it makes us feel like we're fuller, like we've lived a little bit during the day and we've let ourselves out of ourselves in a way. My mom knits like two, three hours a day. That's incredible. She taught me knitting when I was like a kid. Yeah. That's great. And it's very soothing, right? Like it really Super makes you be in that moment, right? You have to be present. You are right there. You're present. Yeah. Yeah. So I get a little bored after a while, but she loves it. I mean, she's doing it. It's whatever that. you but the, finding that for yourself. Like it's that, you know, the state of flow they talk about. Like that is what I love. I love I, I feel the state of flow when I play the violin. I feel that state of flow when I edit. I love editing. There are certain things video that editing. really video editing, yeah. When I am focused on a project, that's what I love, and that's why I'm here. It doesn't really matter if it's acting or writing or producing or whatever. I just love being in a state of total focus on one thing and trying to make it as best as I can, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what she's taught me, and I have a lot more to learn from her, and I, she, you know, hopefully I won't warp her into something that uh, she doesn't <laughs> want to be. Like, that's my goal. I just want her to find herself and not push her in a direction that she doesn't want to go necessarily. Do you feel like you're more productive because you're more focused with your time? When no. You, when you have, <laughs> really? Are you? I mean, I mean you don't as, have a kid. As, as a mom, yeah, I don't have kids. Oh, as, as a, a mom, mom? Do you feel I like mean, you're saying no to a lot of stuff and focusing, you know, in an hour, which yeah. you used to do in like four hours? I mean, I can't say that I feel so much more efficient. I do feel more efficient. I do feel more lonely in that I have to cut off all those little whims that I used to do before. I do feel loneliness is Activities something. Activities and like little quick yeah. meetups with friends or whatever. Yeah, those kind of things. Like, hey, come out for a drink or come see my play. Can't those things it. really are the things that go. And it is a sense of loneliness, I think, that I have recently realized I need to battle a little bit. Wow. So I'm going to take a class and I'm going to be able to say yes, you know, once a week to something like that you're talking about. But our instinct is there's so little time. We're just scrambling, you know? And just, it's like running on a, running, trying to get ahead of like, you know, something that's trying to crush you, you know, the, the Indiana Jones kind of thing. And so I think, you know, it's easy to sort of sacrifice yourself in that way because time is so precious. But at the end of the day, it is enriching to be around other people. And so like a whole section of this book is about allies and how people, how important it is to have your mentors, your role yeah. models, and also your friends to support you on your journey because- the long term of creativity is where we really find the most benefits because we get better at it mm -hmm. and we make it more of our, our lives. There's a podcast called the, the Happiness Lab, which is all about mm -hmm. like, the science of happiness. Oh, yeah, I've heard that a couple times. Yeah. Dr. Lori Santos. Mm -hmm. And she talks about even though people say that they're introverted and they like their alone time, there is direct correlation to being alone and being unhappy. Like the more introverted you become, yeah. but every time you're around someone else, even if you're uncomfortable, even if you didn't want to talk to that person, you feel happier. You feel connected. Yeah. You feel more, um, more purposeful, meaningful life when you speak and connect with other people. I think it's a combination. I think sure. you know. You need I, alone time too. But yeah. You think? Yeah, I think I, I, I I'm interested in that because there's also another book called Quiet. I yes. can't remember her yes. name, but it's all about how introverted people. Sarah Kane. Sarah Kane, yeah, and that, I love that book a lot because there are a lot of you know misnomers about being introverted. I mean, I'm certainly a person who, if I go to a party for an hour, I have I, I need to recharge. <laughs> like, I'm not like 
I can't, that was awesome. Like, I'm like, okay, that was fine, but I'm so tired right now. I need to just be in silence. So that's just me. And it's also just about a journey of getting to know what activates you and mm-hmm. what works for you and not doing things because someone's told you to do it, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that with creativity, it's like, especially with writing, it's been a, a long journey for me trying to figure out how I best work as a writer and not judging the way that I work. It's like, well, it's not good enough. You're too slow. No, nobody does it that way. You need an outline before you start writing. Like, all these rules. Um, It's really about being gentle with ourselves and figuring out, like, okay, I actually work really well if I, you know, am in my PJs or I go down to McDonald's. You know, like, what what makes you... I have to write on something, I have to work on something like it's clay. I have to go back and mold it a little, and I'll go over here and then I'll come back to it. That's not how a lot of writers work. It's a longer process. But when I started embracing like, okay, what what makes me work well? That was exciting because then I'm really being true to myself and then I was just better at working, I think. You were better, yeah. Yeah. On a scale of one to 10, how creative do you feel like you are right now in your life? Wow. Um, you know, I'd say like a six or a seven. I'm pretty good. Um, you know, I was recently discussing with somebody, you know, I used to make web video and I would mm-hmm. make, you know, especially from like 2011 to 2017, I would make five to 10 videos a week. I would oversee them in some way. You know, I would, I would you may not them. act in them, but you would, I would not necessarily be in all of them. It, yeah. I would produce them. I would be reading development material to make more videos. I would be giving notes on scripts. I would be giving notes on edits. I would be giving notes on design for the, co- you know, so I was constantly being barraged. And like, I was talking to somebody and she's like, oh, it sounds like you were on a high because you constantly were creative. You were in this environment where you could just be poo, poo, poo. Like I have an idea. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's see the reaction immediately. And so it was almost like, being addicted to that sort of drug yeah it was almost a drug yeah and so you know it's it's taken years for me to figure out like okay there is another way to operate and you shouldn't compare that feeling to what you have now because it's going to be different you're not getting that dopamine hit of like great we made something how do people react okay let's go to the next one you know i don't have that anymore so that realization that i was addicted to that kind of feedback is really important and has allowed me to be like, okay, I'm working on something for the next six months. And then just like this book, I worked on it for a year. It's out. It was amazing to release. Now I'm ready for something new. It's mm. a different pace of living. It's a different pace of creativity. Yeah. And it's been sort of like a, but now that I'm, I'm getting into it, I feel like, oh, I think this will be more long-term satisfying because I can put more time into something, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the majority of people, creatives right now, are probably addicted to that. Let me post on social media and get a quick reaction, yeah. and excitement around that yeah. quick post or video or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's a book called Deep Work, I think it's called, where mm-hmm. it's about actually diving into the deep work and having the time to spend a month, six months, yeah. a year on a project yeah. that takes time and love and massaging and all these different things is where we create more meaningful Well, it lasts joy. for a long time. And my philosophy around web video was always trying to make more evergreen content. I'm really proud of that. Like a lot of the videos that I made around Magic the Gathering or tabletop games or, you know, these are things that people evergreen. watch today. Uh-huh. They're more evergreen. That was my always my philosophy about it. My web video, The Guild, is 10 years later, it's still on Netflix, right? Amazing. So like that investment of time and, and that vibe was it, it really, I became more unhappy when the industry kind of pushed me toward making more disposable content. Because that's, like, that's just not that's what. That's like topical for the week. Yeah, which is great. That's just not the thing that made me happy. And I, it took a while to realize that, right? So my kind of backpedaling, and it's different venues now because that kind of web video isn't made right now. Yeah. It's more just TV or, or podcasts right now, which is fine. But, you know, putting my efforts into books and other formats in a longer term way, it makes me impatient sometimes, but I'm like, I know that when I finish this, this book will last forever. Yeah. I will be proud in 10 years to give it yeah. to someone because it's, I mean, it's evergreen. Exactly. So it's great. Oh, thanks. What, um, how do you overcome the need to be perfect as a creative? And how do you overcome self doubt when you're working on a creative project, especially in Hollywood and with this world? Do you feel have a lot of self-doubt or? I have an analogy to that. I've been to talk about it a lot in here about how anxiety and fear of failure and all these things. But I recently was thinking about it as a way of like Google Maps. You know, when we're, when we're looking at a, a project or a city, you know, in our world, right? A project could be a city. You have to be at the right magnification level at the point 
where you are in the creative process, right? So you cannot be like zooming out to worldview and looking at your project all the time because then you're just, you're you're paralyzed. You're, you're like o- you're second guessing everything. Yeah. yeah, you're either second guess or you're being like, I gotta just retool the whole thing. Let's redo the whole plot. No, scratch it. I've done throw it. Throw it away. Yes, just throw it away from scratch because you're just looking at it from a perspective or someone else's perspective, you know? And I talk about this a lot. You gotta be in it. You gotta honor the process and know that you're gonna do bad work to get to the finish line. You gotta get to the finish line before you get to the, go back to the beginning. Mm. And you can't, you can't look at the whole thing in too wide a, a, a lens too early or you'll ruin everything. Because no, it's not ready to be looked at right then. You're only 10% into it, man. You cannot look at it from, from that kind of worldview. So. Um, what did to, you say? You got to be at the finish line before you can go back to the beginning. Yes, you have to get to the. I mean, that's that's the number one thing for creativity. I've learned you got to finish it in order to go back to the beginning and fix it. So it's not just I finished it and it's done. Oh no! I mean that. Then you're. I mean, no judgment. You're probably not working hard enough. <laughs> mm, right. It's the, I mean, it's the editing. It's the refining. It's the yeah. stepping away and coming back. It's having a life experience moment and reflecting. Yeah, and working through it and learning something about yourself, having gone through the finish and being like, okay, this is what I wanted to say. How do I make it better, right? I mean, I'm not saying that anybody can, I mean, I've done things where I did a first draft and I'm like, it's done, you know, like very, very rarely. Most of the time it takes a lot of work, but you have to be brave enough to just do the bad work to get to the end and then go back and fix it. That's what I believe. And that's what I talk about in my book a lot. Isn't that hard though to be like, to be doing something, writing a book, and the first draft and being like, gosh, this really sucks. How do you not judge yourself and have this desire to doubt, like, oh, I'm just, it's, I shouldn't put this out. I can't keep working on this. It's never gonna be what I want it to be. I'm comparing it to someone else's book. I mean, all of those things are just, talk about, those are the voices you don't listen to, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to look at it as a process, and you have to look at it as the end result would, I would be happy regardless of this, whether this is successful or not, right? That's where that inner satisfaction comes, because you know you did the best work you could, and you can't let that critic start talking until you you know that you're ready to step away from it. That Then that voice can take over. Otherwise, like, I mean, first draft is a first draft. Like, it's, you're not embracing the fact that it's work. And that's what I talk about in this book a lot. Creativity is work. It's not just like some muse coming out all sexy out of you and just like, you know. This, this artist. Yeah, like, exactly. And it's like, it's done. It just came out of me. I didn't work at all. Like, that is not realistic. It's this weird perception we have of genius. But like, and I said in the book, Lin-Manuel Miranda took six years to write Hamilton. Mm. How many drafts do you think he did of every thing? I just read this wonderful book. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a book. The, the author took 15 years to write it, and he kept going back to it and just ripping it apart and rewriting it. And it won a Booker Award. It won a bunch of things. But, you know, he, could, he couldn't let it go because it meant something to him. But he would finish it and then walk away, and then he'd be like, rip, and he'd go back, and he'd keep working on it. And it was brilliant. But 15 years. You know, so you can't expect everything to be perfect, right? At the end of the day, you have to move on. You have to do something and move on, right? Like you can't grow if you're working on one thing for 20 years. So it really is about having people outside you as sort of touchstones of like, okay, you know, help me. Help me decide whether I move on. Help me decide how many more drafts of this do I I need to do. Help me know that if releasing this now will make me a better artist or it will devastate me because I released it too early, right? right? right. And so sometimes you can't know that. You just yeah. need your outside help. Mentor. You have a you have a whole chapter on mentors. Yeah. You have a chapter on enemies too, right? Uh, I mean, half, about, over half the book is about enemies. <laughs> it's about um, fear. <laughs> I mean, the enemies are anxiety, fear of failure, procrastination. Yes. Uh, Those are the enemies. Powerlessness. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, jealousy. Real life enemies. I mean, there was a lot. I could have gone on. My editor was like, "It's a little too much for the enemies." I, I like, I could go on more because I'm a paranoid person, right? Right. But I mean, we're our we're our, our worst enemies. We're our own worst enemies. And the fact, if you, the point of this book was to make self help be more fun, more playful, and think about things from a different angle than you have in the past. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's interactive. That's why it has exercises everywhere because unless it. you're doing something, you're not really going to absorb it into your own world. You're just going to kind of like. Put in your brain and like, oh, I might highlight a word or a sentence there, but it's not really going to affect you. I really want this book to affect people. Yeah. How do you manage energy when you have negative people in your life during the creative process? You have to shut them out. I mean, there's a big, one of my favorite exercises in there is taking a person and visualizing and shutting a door on them. Because you can love that person, but they're not safe for you when you're creating, right? And so... You can have that person in your life if you can figure out a way to navigate it, 
or you might just need to press a pause. I mean, I'm not all about like cut people from, you know, I'm not a cult leader. I don't want people to abandon their families or their friends, right? But I do want people to honor their own process and who they are because we're often taught, especially women, to honor other people's needs from us in front of other people, right? And so, you know, if someone knocks on my virtual door, email, hey, want to have lunch tomorrow? I'll be like, sure. Because you always want to please. You I want to please, you know, and I'm like, what do you need from me? Take it, you know, and I, you know, I have, I need to value myself more. I mean, I invent people in my life that I'm supposed to like, I have a writing partner who's fake. I have an assistant who's fake. And yeah. I'm just like, pretend that they're defending me. <laughs> Really? Tell me more about that. What is that? I'm just like, Felicia has a writing, you know, she she has a writing session tomorrow with so-and-so. And you'll email people back. Yeah, as my fake assistant. No way. That I have an appointment with a writing partner who doesn't exist. Wow. <laughs> because You need people, to protect your, your, I, your And peace. also, yeah, and people are not like, will not honor you if you're doing something for yourself. If I told you, hey, I can't meet with you, I, ha- I have to write, you would be like, Less in massage. Yeah, yeah, a massage or something. You would not. You would be kind of pissed that I was not giving my time to you. Other, but more than if I said, "I'm sorry, I have a writing partner I'm writing with." Right? Mm, Yeah. There's a weird prior commitment. Yeah. I have a prior commitment with another person, not myself. Right? Isn't that weird? Crazy. It's really weird. So now I know when I email you next time, if you're gonna blow like, me yeah. off, if there's really Janet said there's a real Felicia's reason. writing with Sean tomorrow. <laughs> I'll be like, okay, I remember now. Janet and Sean don't exist. They don't are those the people's names? No, I changed them. You change them up every every few months. Gotta mix up. Okay. <laughs> so you cut people out, you have an imaginary door, you shut the door. Yeah. And that helps you, what, protect your inner peace or that well, it's a physical you know, barrier? I think so. I mean, I don't know. When you create, don't you feel like there's there's somebody that you're trying to please when you're creating? I think I'm always trying to give to people. Mm-hmm. So this conversation right here is probably really powerful for me to listen to because oh, wow. I'm always trying to contribute to other people. I'm always wanting to say, how can I support you? How can yeah. I give? What's the challenge you have in your life that I can I want to solve your problems. connect yeah. someone to you or listen to you for hours, and then I just, I'm like, my whole day is gone. Yeah. And I start working at like seven o'clock at night because I've just been giving all day to other people. Yeah. So I need to I, I, I feel that a lot. I, I do know. the same thing. I feel most important when I'm of help to other people. There's yeah. a reason why I played a lot of assistants and TV, you know? Because really? I do have that eager, like, I will do anything for you. I don't exist except for you. And yet, that's a terrible way to, I mean, it really is. I'm telling myself this, and it's a struggle that I deal with. Like, I am not honoring myself. I'm not, what happens when all the pieces that are useful to other people are gone? Well, are they going to be there for us? Probably I, not. Probably not. And maybe not even in a vindictive way. It's just unconscious, right? Like, you know. Like I told Lily, my assistant, I was like, don't schedule any meetings. Like, mm-hmm. Let's try to cut off as many meetings this month so I can yeah. get things done. Yeah. But it's hard because there's always someone in town and there's this opportunity. I know. It's like, I know. you don't say me. no to a friend. Even my, if it is a close friend of yours, you're like, my oh. inbox is full of five people that I feel too guilty about saying no to, but I just don't want to meet them. Not personal. I just want my December to write. I just need it. And so, so you haven't responded? I haven't responded. I don't know how to respond. I'm <laughs> paralyzed right now. Well, call Janet up and tell Janet's her Janet's to- going to be like, Felicia's out of the country. I mean, my I know a couple of people, very famous writers. Neil Gaiman is one of them, and he will just put an auto-reply on his email and be like, I'm so sorry. I'm not checking email for the next two months. Only my assistant. I will not read this please contact me again in, in January. And a lot of that, I did that for a while, and it really does work because if you're a friend, you'll know, oh, he's doing his work. I want his work. It's so hard. It do. is very, very hard. But I think uh, ultimately, what are you going to show for yourself at the end yeah, I know. other than just giving yourself to everybody? I know. Right? Like having your attention and your time like spread out too thin. And then you won't have as much to give people, right? You won't be as successful. You won't be as productive. You won't be as creative. Then you're not useful to them as much. So really, if you could think about it like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. You need to be selfish for yourself so you can give more to other people. Make yourself more usable. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> do you? How do you manage your emotions when you aren't feeling like you're at the top, when you don't have a series that's like running well or you're not getting mm. on red carpets as much or whatever. I, I'm not in the Hollywood world, so I don't know yeah. this game, but how do you I'm not either. Okay. I'm really not. I just, even when I get invited to red carpets, I'm like, I don't want to spend the money on an outfit. I do not want to make my hair look nice. You, What am I going to gain from this interaction? Sure, so, sure. <laughs> you know, it is really tough. I think when you are in a sort of status and um, achievement-oriented you know, career, which we all are, but Hollywood is sort of like hyper. Your relevance to other people 
is your worth. And so crazy. It's crazy. It is really so not. How do you deal with that if you're not as relevant or you're less um, relevant or you're? You know, I just don't invest, and I know that it might go away. I think that I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, okay, that might disappear, and I think I'll I'll be just as happy. You know, I think you get to the point where you have to. And then, of course, I pers- I mean, if I go want to go to a movie, like I'm like, oh, I want to see that movie or that. You know, I do it for fun, and then you know, I'll do it like I know if I'll see some friends there, right? Or I'm like, this is a really good business opportunity. So I have cer- certain categories where I weigh it. I'm like, okay, is this you know business useful? Is this personal useful? Is this just a good night out? And those are the three categories. And if it's not one of the three, it's like definitely not worth my time, because I'd rather sit and stare at my wall than go network with people. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> How does someone not value their self-worth on their relevance? How do they train themselves or create a different scenario or story in their mind that my relevance, my my following size, Mm -hmm. my views, likes is not tied to my self-worth? I mean, it's very, very hard. And I think that social media really destroys us. And I think that just knowing that my self-worth is not tied to these things. You know, my career might be, but your self-worth and your career have to be separate. Wow, that's and you good. really have to just cut, 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 right? Wow, that's powerful. And know that every career, especially, you know, online career, it goes like that. You know, I know huge YouTubers that can't get arrested right now, right? They, you know, they were so popular. Vine stars, like, they just disappear, They're right? They're gone. And I think it's hard. Fame is very warping, right? And you always have that as sort of a high, and you have that as sort of a benchmark of your own success, that high of where you were the most famous, most successful, most financially, you know, rewarded, right? But that's your, that is the definition of basing your self-worth on the externals. You can't control those things. You can only control your work. And so you should really base your high on where you were most fulfilled, and you were making the things that were most... Uh, meaningful to you mm. and the things that you'll, you know, take forward in your life as things you were proud of, right? You just want to duplicate that versus all the external rewards because it's all conditional, right? It is. You're a very wise woman. Thank you. I'm very a wise. sage. Great. Very wise. <laughs> and in the book, you've got so many different exercises and examples. I love how creative the book is. Oh, thank you very much. Did you do all like the doodling and drawing? Mm, I did not, but it was a style. Like, were I able to draw, that would have been it. it. Yes, I am not a person who anyone should look at my drawing, and I don't want to share it, to be honest with you. But um, I do, I I love this style because it's very spontaneous and fun and whimsical. And that's what I want. You know, a lot of self-help journeys are like luxury. They're very harlier than thou. They're almost shaming sometimes. Or they're like super Mm God-driven, like spiritual, ooby-groovy. And I'm like, God bless you if you feel like you need a spirit to enter you to get into this. Like, it's not my style. Uh So I just wanted to do a funny, fun, self-effacing, whimsical, and and playful. I just want people to feel very playful and encouraged at the end of this book. I love it. I love it. I've got a couple questions left for you, but make sure you guys get the book before I ask the final questions. Okay, great. It's called Embrace Your Weird, Face Your Fears, and Unleash Creativity. I feel like there's more and more actors and celebrities who are coming out with self-help memoirs and books to, mm-hmm. to help people. And I find it powerful because there probably is a lot of stress and overwhelm that actors go through that they have to do the work on themselves to just get through it and be happy and be joyful. And Yeah, well, I wrote life. this book because I wrote a memoir many years, uh, in 2004 years ago, three years ago, yep. called You're Never Weird in the Internet Almost. And that, um, in writing through my own, about my own journey of being like this weird kid who was homeschooled, going to college way too early, you know, coming to LA and thinking I was a star and not really happening. And then, you know, making my own success out of my garage, right? Like, and that journey, people, you know, I would get people telling me all the time that really made me start, made them start creating something mm-hmm. themselves. And it also made them help get help for anxiety and depression. I think especially anxiety, I battled my whole life. And right. I didn't really realize how much it ruled my life until I started becoming a little bit more cogent of, of my behavior and how it affect, affected me. And so, out of that response to my memoir, I really wrote this because I wanted to give the tools to other people. Yeah. I really felt like, okay, if people are taking this from that book, how much more could I give them for themselves? Sure. Because honestly, if somebody comes up and says, I started doing programming because of you, like that's so much more exciting than here's an award for something you did two years ago. Mm-hmm. Like it's, okay, that's wonderful. And it might open opportunities business-wise, but it's not like I feel good as a human being, right? Sure. Um, and so that's why I wrote this book. I really feel like it's something... 
that, you know, the people who've read it are like, I'm getting it for my daughter and I'm getting it for my, you know, husband and my aunt. And, and I'm like, this is great because you're spreading joy. And if that kind of can go through person after person, like that's way better with, to do with So my much time. more fulfilling. Yeah. When you make an impact on one person's life and they yeah. see a result because of something you created for them, so. Well, I mean, that, that's one of the points I make in the book, like when, in the critic section, like, yes, you might make something and release it into the world and people loathe it. It might be awful, but you don't know how that awful thing you made, quote unquote, could affect another person and make them go make something else that that may change the world. You don't know. True. So your creativity doesn't need to be judged. It just needs to be out there mm. for yourself. Yes. Okay, this is called the three truths. I ask everyone. Is this, this your deal? This is a question I ask. Okay. Three truths. Okay. That I ask everyone at the end. So imagine, since we've talked about regret and dying, imagine that's your last day on earth many years from now. Uh-huh. And you choose the day and you've lived as long as you want and you've created everything you want to create. You okay. see your family grow and everything is the way you want it to be, right? Okay, sure. Um, but you got to choose a day where it's all over. And every creative project you've put into the world has to go with you. So no one has access to your work anymore. Okay. The videos, the books, the creativity. Sure. Everything you've put in the world goes with you to wherever you go next. Uh, but you get to leave behind three things you know to be true about your entire experience on this earth. Three lessons, three truths. Okay. And you can write them down and you can, that's all people have to remember you by are these three truths. What would you say would be yours? Wow, this is a, this is a complicated question. I think I would, as a person who's been in the world of fame and mm -hmm. recognition, I, I heard this great Jenny Leno quote about Conan O'Brien. And he, Conan O'Brien was like, I feel like people aren't going to remember me. And Jay Leno was like, nobody cares. You're forgotten. Just live for the moment, right? Nobody will care. After you're dead, they might not care next year. And that's when I see, when I go down a street and I see a person's name on a building or a street, I'm like, does anyone care about that person? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about Century City. I don't know if it's Mr. Century or what. Like, <laughs> it's like no one cares. Nobody, that name might be there, but no one is thinking about who that person was. It's just your name. So like, what is the point of achieving all that, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess my message would be like, the only people worth investing in are the people who will be with you when you're dying. <laughs> um, your weirdness is your superpower. And the only way you know you're alive is to create. Mm. That's cool. The only way you know you're alive is to create. Yeah. Why, while you're, why is yeah. that? Because, I, like I said, create. Like, this is what I learned from my daughter. Like when you're creating, it's like a, a bat flying around by sonar, mm -hmm. and they send their sound out, and it bounces off things, and then comes back to them and tells them how the world works. Mm -hmm. That's how our creativity is. When we throw our creativity out there, it bounces off the world and comes back to us, and we know so much more about ourselves and the world from it. Wow. You should be Batwoman. That would be amazing. That'd be sweet, right? Isn't there yeah. Batwoman coming out? It's, it's not very good. Wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there a movie, Batwoman coming There's out? There's a TV show, Batwoman. Oh, TV show. Yeah. I thought there was a movie, too, coming out. That there was could being, be. No, um, right What's-Her-Face is playing Bat Catgirl, Catwoman. Oh, Catwoman. Catwoman. Um, Zoe Kravitz is playing Catwoman, which I cannot believe. Zoe it's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah, she's, she's great. So in, uh, what's the show she's in right now The with all the female? Is it Orange is the New Black? No, what's the one with the... Reese Witherspoon and... Oh, Big Little Lies. That's a great show. Yeah, I haven't seen the second season. I just started Don't look at me it. like that. It's amazing. I haven't I know, finished it. I haven't I finished it. Meryl Streep's in it. I got to watch it. It's pretty She's incredible. I know. It's, yeah, but I, I really like Zoe from that... Uh, She's incredible. I can't wait to see her cat, Catwoman. When is it's that coming be. out? I guess it's next yeah. year with who the, the new Batman and everything. You know. Who's the new Batman? Oh, it's uh, Robert Pattinson. He's the Batman? You don't know these things? I don't know these things. I got blank. I thought you, no, he, he's going to be great. Wait, Robert Harrison from? Twilight. Twilight? He's an amazing actor. He's going to be so much better than Ben Affleck. Oh, my God. Ben Affleck was the worst Batman. I would rather see George Clooney as Batman any day of the week. Uh, but who was the one before? Michael Keaton, amazing. No, after. Christian Bale was great. Christian Bale is unbelievable. I know, but I the think Dark Pattinson's Knight, going to be amazing. The Dark Knight? Yes. You can't beat that. Agreed, but. It's unbelievable. Agreed, but... Soundtrack? Oh, my God. Anne Hathaway is not going to be as good as Zoe Cr I mean, she's incredible. Catwoman, she'll be a better... She'll be a good Catwoman, but... She'll be great. Wow, Batman. So there's going to be a new Batman? 
Oh boy, you're I'm behind excited. the times, man. You're doing too much self-help I need to email your, uh, Janice or whoever your assistant <laughs> is and, and uh, get connected to you so yeah. I'm find okay. this out. It's going to be next year. You'll be fine. Okay, cool. Well, Felicia, I want to acknowledge you for a moment before I ask you the final question. I want to acknowledge There's you. more? Okay. There's one more question, but I want to acknowledge you for your creative weirdness in the world because I think a lot of people are afraid to be weird and express their weirdness and to continue to put that out there. And the fact that you... Are, are courageous enough to talk about the depression, the anxiety, the stresses, the challenges of being a mom and having the ups and downs of this creative world and the Hollywood world, which is even more pressure. Yep. It's really inspiring. So Thank I acknowledge you, you for, for showing up, for being consistent, even when it's hormonal and weird and you're not you know, doing what you think you should be doing, but it's, it's really inspiring. So Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I acknowledge you for that. I'm going to acknowledge you for being a good interviewer. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. The final question is, what's your definition of greatness? Oh, wow. Feeling full in your heart like you ate a really big hamburger. <laughs> Feeling full in your heart like, like you, you, ate, a like you ham- ate a really big hamburger. Did I see you post something recently about <laughs> eating a hamburger? No, maybe. My baby will not eat anything but hamburger and fries. Wow. It's not good. She's fine. That's great. She'll be fine. So the feeling of eating a big hamburger and having that fullness. Do you know that feeling? Like you've made something. When you go to In and Out and you freaking eat it. Yeah, but you've made something, and in your heart, you know you've done something good. You just feel so full. You're just like, ah, I want to snuggle. You know. Mm. I'm gonna snuggle. That's not the most articulate thing I've ever said, but I think we have our par for the interview. It's great. Embrace your weird. Check the book out, Felicia. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. My friend, thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoyed this episode and interview. Again, if it resonated with you, if it inspired you, if there was a moment that gave you clarity or inspiration or guidance, then please do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast and share this podcast with a friend. You can be a hero and a champion, and you can lift someone up today by just sending them this message with the link in the podcast. That's lewishouse.com slash 892 for this specific link, or you can copy and paste it on Spotify or Stitcher or SoundCloud or wherever you're listening to it, Apple Podcast, and share that link with a friend. Someone you think that this could, this could help immensely. Send this to a friend or a family member or anyone in your life that you think this could help. And leave us a review on Apple Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts. We want to learn how we can make this better. Again, your reviews are like fuel for me. Every time I get a new review, I just get excited to know that I'm impacting people. So the goal for us is to continue to impact more people. If this helped you in any way, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. I think we're almost at 6,000 five-star reviews. And uh, share your thoughts over there as well. Make sure to text me, 614-350-3960, and let's stay connected over on my intimate texting community platform where I'm doing giveaways, prizes, uh, inspirational messages every week, all that different stuff. And I'm going to be sharing stuff there that I don't share anywhere else on social media. So stay connected, 614-350-3960. Big thank you to our sponsor today, calm.com slash greatness. Now, Calm has these amazing sleep stories, hundreds of them, and a ton of other content like soothing music from artists like Sam Smith, guided meditations, breathing exercises, and so much more. 60 million people use Calm and use it to get great sleep. That's what this is all about. If you don't have great sleep, it's hard to have a great life. I can tell you that. For a limited time, you guys get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at Calm dot com slash greatness that's c-a-l-m dot com slash greatness make sure to check it out right now as we get to the end of the year another podcast year behind us almost we're almost complete i want you to reflect on how far you've come this year how much you've created what you've actually done and i also want you to reflect on the things you missed out on what did you not do based out of fear what did you hold back on What are the things you said you were going to do last January, but you never did and you didn't complete? I want you to think about both of those things. Acknowledge yourself for the things you you did, you overcame, and how far you got. And also ask yourself, why didn't I do those things I said I wanted to do? What held me back? And have a reflection moment right now because as Gary Zukov said, scarcity of self-value cannot be remedied by money, recognition, affection, attention, or influence. 
And as Alan Cohen said, to love yourself right now, just as you are, is to give yourself heaven. Don't wait until you die. If you wait, you die now. If you love, you live now. I love you so very much. I'm so grateful you're here. Every single week, we try to bring you the most inspirational icons in the world, the leaders, the world-class athletes, the authors, the people who are doing the research to help you improve your life. And we try to give it to you in an inspirational way. So thank you so much for being a part of this community. It's your family, the School of Greatness family. And as always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Great. 